I'm so happy to be back here with my original UU family in Los Alamos to give you a follow-up on my sermon in 2019 on corruption. In that sermon, I talked a bit about what corruption is and how it gets perpetrated and tolerated in our culture to all of our detriment. How corrupt people simply do not see others as being hurt by what they might easily see as a victimless crime. But today, I'd like to focus on corruption's moral compass. According to the dictionary, corruption is a form of dishonesty or criminal offense undertaken by a person or organization entrusted with a position of authority for illicit gain. Larceny, fraud, and pyramid schemes are the usual types of financial corruption, just as casting couches are abuses of power. The word corruption can also apply to organizations that are disintegrating because the underlying stable forces no longer operate like they should. When the body's functions fall apart, we die, and the body becomes corrupt. The word corpse and corrupt both come from the same Latin root for body, corsa. People who seem to have no sense of right or wrong are thought to be morally corrupt. What's right and wrong can be very different depending on what culture you live in. When I was in Turkey, I was sometimes seen as a woman with questionable morals because I was an American, and we all know how loose they can be. Also, I didn't wear any kind of scarf or hair covering. I noticed that when I did wear something over my hair, even if it was just a headband, I was treated with significantly more respect. Everyone has a moral compass except possibly the criminally insane, but even die-hard lifers in prison revere respect. They have a social system with leaders and unwritten rules that everyone follows, but a true moral compass is based on much more than just adhering to rules or refraining from doing something. A true compass is based on principles, on basic assumptions about what is always right and wrong. Ethics and morality on a large scale are the underlying stable forces that hold countries and societies together. Without ethics, cultures tend to fall into chaos or dictatorship. Societies have basic get-along-with-others rules. Don't steal, lie, physically hurt or murder another person. Have respect for others, and they'll respect you. Be responsible. Keep your word. Be conscientious. Have ideas and things that you revere and cherish. Be loyal to those who deserve it. Be a good friend and a family member. Take care of your parents, children, and relatives. These are great ideas and they make a lot of sense if we are to have a stable society. But many of these ethical actions are difficult to perform all the time. If you have some crazy relatives or you live in a condo with a homeowners association, you know what I'm talking about. I've been reading a wonderful book called Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. It covers the scope of human existence on this planet and Harari voices several interesting opinions about the role of religion and ethics, money and monetary systems. Here's what he has to say about culture. 
Ever more scholars see cultures as a kind of mental infection or parasite, with humans as its unwitting host. Organic parasites, such as viruses, live inside the body of their hosts. They multiply and spread from one host to the other, feeding off their hosts, weakening them, and sometimes even killing them. As long as the hosts live long enough to pass along the parasite, it cares little about the condition of its host. In just this fashion, cultural ideas live inside the minds of humans. They multiply and spread from one host to another, occasionally weakening the hosts and sometimes killing them. A cultural idea such as belief in Christian heaven above the clouds or communist paradise here on earth can compel a human to dedicate his or her life to spreading that idea, even at the price of death. The human dies, but the idea spreads. According to this approach, cultures are not conspiracies concocted by some people in order to take advantage of others, as the Marxists tend to think. Rather, cultures are mental parasites that emerge accidentally and thereafter take advantage of all people infected by them. The idea that those who are not part of our group can be punished, tortured, or even murdered has been a corrupt aspect of many religions and is a global problem to this day. Some religions elevate leaders to the status of gods. They can do whatever they wish. True believers are willing to sacrifice their money, their lives, and even their children to what they believe is good and righteous. Some cynically call that drinking the Kool-Aid. On the other hand, just as bad ideas can travel from mind to mind like a virus, so can good ideas like democracy, human rights, universal education and health care, government by the rule of law, equality, innocent until proven guilty, and the ethical treatment for animals and children. So if we have a moral compass, where does it come from? Our minds don't exist in a vacuum. Our morals, ideas, and perceptions of reality are based on what we were taught, and later on our own observations. We may think we think for ourselves, and it's true we can analyze what we've been taught in new and different ways, but how we do that thinking, how we perceive the reality of any given situation is something we learn. There's no getting around that. People who easily engage in corrupt behavior also have moral compasses based on their past and education too. The difference is the degree to which they justify breaking the law or hurting other people. Psychologists agree that people who exhibit greed, jealousy, drug addiction, fighting, and a multitude of other vices have one process underlying it all, a pervasive neediness which is based on deep-seated feelings of loneliness, isolation, lack of affection, and a host of other human needs that were not met in childhood and are probably still not being met. This hollow existence creates a hole in the soul that goes all the way to China. It aches to be filled and drives people to do things they think will make them feel better. Finding a way to get some control and therefore power might involve getting money to buy things, 
We always hope the stuff we buy will be the thing, the thing that fills the bottomless hole. Harari had a lot to say about how modern capitalism offers us things to make us feel better. Most previous ethical systems presented people with a pretty tough deal. They were promised paradise, but only if they cultivated compassion and tolerance, overcame craving and anger, and restrained their selfish interests. This was too tough for most people. The history of ethics is a sad tale of wonderful ideals that nobody can live up to. Most Christians did not imitate Christ. Most Buddhists did not follow Buddha. And most Confucians would have caused Confucius a temper tantrum. In contrast, most people today successfully live up to the capitalist consumerist ideal. The new ethic promises paradise on condition that the rich remain greedy and spend their time making money and that the masses give free reign to their cravings and passions and buy more and more and more. This is the first religion in history whose followers do what they are asked to do. How, though, do we know if we'll really get paradise in return? We've seen it on television. So now here we are. A toothpaste manufacturer can convince me that their product will give me the dazzling smile that will attract all kinds of handsome men into my life. The fact that it has never worked still hasn't stopped me from having hope that someday it will. Advertising sells us hope in exactly the same way religions do. The only difference is you have to die to find out if religion will fulfill its promise to you. In the deeply needed person, any means to gain power is morally okay because it leads to something that was desired, wanted, and therefore good. From childhood, most of us have been programmed to get along with others, be nice, share our toys, to be good children. It's not a big stretch for a child's mind to associate good feelings with being a good person. Getting what you want is therefore good. And we are now surrounded by a culture that tells us all the time that we are entitled to have what we want. We are not told very often to give up something or do something we don't want to do for other people's benefit. That's called sacrifice. And sacrifice is not a very popular notion these days. Case in point. In 2020, how many Americans didn't want to wear masks and therefore refused to, even when it was required by law for sound scientific reasons? That was a small personal sacrifice, and yet almost half of us resisted. Medical professionals have been wearing masks for decades to keep from spreading germs and viruses. Masks clearly work to prevent disease, so why not wear one in the midst of a pandemic? But Americans felt entitled to do as they pleased, even when it endangered their own lives. What was the reward for that behavior? What emotions did maskless people experience? Clearly, it wasn't the fear of dying. So it must have been something really good. The first thing that comes to mind is they didn't have to smell their own bad breath under the mask. <laughs> Did they feel superior to those idiots like me who believed there was a virus in the first place? 
When people started dying, was it the fact that only 1% of us will succumb to it that made it seem like it was nothing more than the flu? Was gathering for parties a tribal thing, a show of solidarity with the maskless leaders? Or was it a happy camaraderie with other people who also hated being forced by the government to sacrifice? Causing harm directly or indirectly, but still on purpose, is never okay. The mental rabbit holes that I went down led me to believe that a corrupt moral compass is no simple thing. It appears to be based on a combination of religious and tribal values, intense social pressure to conform, current brainwashing advertisements, personal feelings of inadequacy or entitlement, and above all, desire for power and a feeling of superiority. Yet, other people have a different outlook on existence and are not so easily pulled into the morass of emotion and justification. They see themselves in a larger context, as part of a religion, a company, a country, perhaps even the whole of humanity. Despite personal failings and intense needs, these people do not see themselves as being entitled to spread disease, steal from public coffers, or mentally and physically abuse other people. Their moral compass is based on something larger than themselves. It cannot easily be tossed aside in favor of momentary pleasure or avoidance of conflict. In Sapiens, Harari looks at the entire development of human life on the planet and how it has slowly been coming together in the last 800 years. A new global interdependence has developed, driven by the accepted concept of money and global trust in electronic data that represents wealth. We can look at those historical developments as incredibly positive or horrifyingly disastrous. The sheer complexity of such a system makes financial corruption much easier to sneak past the few regulators and thwart the unenforced laws. From the first money move to offshore accounts to the near collapse of the entire financial system, corruption brought us very close to a global meltdown in 2009. On the other hand, dependence on other countries for manufactured goods and as a market for our own does make the financial movers and shakers less likely to engage in mutual destruction, although war itself is incredibly profitable. A global financial network gives the world stability that can be its savior or its undoing. It depends entirely on financial partners that can be trusted. It depends on cultures with ethical laws and vigilant enforcement. Each culture is a unique body that is healthy if the underlying systems work as they should. When financial and moral corruption is rampant, the body has a disease. Trust in ideas like money and rule of law are the pulsing blood flowing through the body. Once that trust falls apart, the blood pressure drops. The body begins to rot from within. Which all harkens back to the behavior of the powerful and trusted. How far are leaders willing to go to expose corruption? If they benefit from it, why would they? 
The vast majority of stories on corruption in the last three decades came from news reporters or low-level employees, not politicians. We all have moral compasses, that conscience that keeps us in line when we are tempted or pushes us to intervene when we see the powerful abusing others. The question is, how far does my compass reach? Does it include people and things I know little about? Do I have a concept of my personal role as one of the multitude of cogs in the giant wheel of ethical culture? Are my ethics and values so well formed that it is second nature to tell the truth, be trustworthy, and not cause harm to others? Do I stand up to unethical people and expose their behavior? If that's the case, I have a large moral compass. The moral compass of corrupt people can justify any behavior that is necessary to get what they want, because what they want is good for them, and therefore nothing to feel guilty about. It might be manipulating people into believing that a certain brand of toothpaste will magically alter their love lives. Allowing the person to make, that makes the toothpaste to become wealthy. Making money is good. Making money is moral. It's what makes the world's global economy function. A strong economy equals more jobs. Look at the standard of living worldwide, how it has increased dramatically in the last 30 years, all because global trade and investment created jobs. Money is morally neutral, but how it is made affects the lives of billions worldwide. How industry is regulated and who enforces the existing laws all depends on the moral compasses of those in control. It's up to us, the cogs in the wheel, to ensure that the people leading us into the future have large moral compasses. We can always speak our minds. We can vote. If we recognize it when we see it, and if we are willing to be responsible, we can slow the spread of the bad ideas that are currently infecting our culture. <laughs>